you're gonna do it. The first on the call-out list are the people who just sat in the truck for 15 minutes revving their engine outside. Anyway. <laughs> Those are the first people on this call-out list. Yes. Well, I guess we should introduce ourselves mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, we are Most Excellent, the podcast, your true crime, paranormal, all things strange and peculiar comedy podcast, mm-hmm. hosted by myself, and um, I think my name's Gina. Yeah. I think your name so is far. actually Pierogi Paolo. How do I call you in my phone? <laughs> I called. I, I have Gina as Pierogi Paolo in my phone. And I will be called nothing less. Yeah. And nothing more. Exactly. So. You're called like what you love. Some nice delicious pierogi. That's true. I've, been, I've had so many different names in Danielle's phone. I know. I've had something with the word pizza in it. Oh, my lasaga. My lasaga. I was my lasaga for a while. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been many, many names. And now you're... I think you're Progi Paolo. I'm probably, I, I probably yeah, am. You are. Um, and, uh, my name is not Progi Paolo. No, her name is just Danielle. She doesn't have any cool nicknames. Yes. Um, but we are here to talk about more creepy shit, mm-hmm. which we do every week. Every week. And last week, when we started, we kind of started a little call-out list. Mm-hmm. Because Danielle and I constantly just have beef with people. If, 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 if you if you haven't realized when you've been listening to this podcast that, or maybe this is the first time you're listening, we love to talk shit. Mm-hmm. Not always in a horrible way. Sometimes you just need to rant about something. Mm-hmm. And that's why we created the call it list. And sometimes in our stories of spooky shit, someone or something, maybe a ghost, maybe a demon, maybe a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Maybe capitalism? Who knows? It needs to be called out. Uh, I just want to say the first thing, one of the things for our call-out list is Burger King. Mm-hmm. Because, and not the workers at Burger King, because shout out to them, but just Burger King in general. Because we ordered food, and they didn't include Danielle's Hershey pie. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a really devastating loss. So R.I.P. <laughs> we can just move on from that mm-hmm. right there. Um, do we have anyone else on the call list? Brenda. Oh, yeah. Talk about Brenda. So I went to Disney and Ice. <laughs> I went to Disney and Ice this weekend. And this. so my sister, I went with my sister and her kids. And so my sister had sat my niece on the seat next to her because there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. Anticipating, like, I can leave the baby here for five seconds and not have her on my lap right now. Right. So then little Brenda comes by with her whole troop of children and so, literally, Brenda goes rude as hell. And we as don't know. Does. We don't. I don't know, know this woman's name, but I just call her Brenda. Her name is Brenda for now. And so, my sister is obviously like has a baby there, and Brenda sees the baby there and goes, "That's my seat!" Like a grown woman. A grown woman is yelling with the baby near, aggressively. And I literally like I, time goes by. Brenda sits in her seat. I look at I look at Brenda. Brenda looks at me. The music from fucking Kill Bill plays. And <laughs> I just, like, say loudly. I'm like, move the baby, Laura. My sister's name is Laura. I'm like, move the baby, Laura, because I have to fight fucking Brenda. It's not going to be pretty. And just Brenda, like, gave me this scared look. And I was like, think I will not fight you, Brenda, because I will. Mm-hmm. Don't be rude. Don't make me end up on my own call-out list for murdering somebody. Right. I was going to say, because Brenda, ice. we will have to do the murder of fucking Brenda at Disney on because she decided to fucking talk shit. Uh-huh. So, Brenda and Burger King on the call-out list, on the call-out list. for today. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Tag us and hashtag call-out list, you guys. Call call us. And we started Terror of the Day yes. today on our, you can find it on our Twitter. And our Instagram. And Instagram. We're going to do a different tarot card every day. You can take away whatever meaning it 
gives to you, whatever message. It does obviously it's not gonna be the same for everybody, mm-hmm. but it's something that we're really excited about. And we also want to do crystal of the month. So we're the week. Week, month. Week, month. Whatever. We'll we can see. do we can do crystal of every hour. Crystal every of hour. Every hour of every we're day. We're gonna post a fucking crystal. That would be mm-hmm. um at this time on this day, take this crystal and put them both into your tear ducts. And you'll be careful. They're like the other mother, but with crystals in their <laughs> eyes instead of buttons. Fries. Can you? I would love that. You would I, love that. That, that would be. The, really I would, would have two moonstones. Mm-hmm. Right, in my eye sockets. I would have two large pieces of rose quartz, just absolutely gorgeous, shiny angel. No, pink angel aura quartz. Yeah, that's what I would have. Or just onyx, just oh black. Just be a demon. Two garnets. Two Perfect. absolute garnets. Either way, if you want to, please do not put garnets in your eyeballs. <laughs> I beg. So I'm going to be like, I heard this on a podcast. Anyway, so we'll do, yeah, we'll do crystal of the week, whatever. We Mom's have so many thing. fucking crystals. We want to talk about crystals and we want to talk mm-hmm. about tarot. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do. Anyway, I guess we can get started yeah. with our stories this week. Your first this week. I am very excited to talk about mine. This is actually one that I've been wanting to do for a while. What did I do last week? Oh, I did Fox in a Box. The Fox you, in a Box. You sisters. did the Fox Box Sisters. What the hell is that? The name of that bear, that bear in the house, bear in a chair. What's what? his name from the nineties? Bear in the Big Blue House. That one. Bear in a chair. Bear in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I talk about Foxy Loxy from was it the that one hen story? <gasps> the big red hen. Oh yes, 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 yes. The, yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, that one. Um, but That's I the actually. No, I actually got this story from, I think I saw it like a while ago in a episode of Lore on Netflix. <gasps> and of course, knowing us, I mean, you've talked about it before, but I at some point had to talk about vampires. So that's what I'm going to do. And I am going to talk about Mercy Brown, who is the last vampire of New England. Oh, I love this. I don't know what this is, but I love so, this. So this is some... Wild. This, as we say, this is wild from start to finish. Danielle and I were talking earlier, and I was saying how I was like, people in the 1800s had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. They literally had nothing better to do besides just cause havoc. And I love it because I get to talk about mm-hmm. it, and it's great. So, in a way, we go. This Did is Billy on the street. <laughs> it is Billy Eckner. Please come on this podcast. No. All right. So. In Exeter, Rhode Island, several members of George and Mary Brown's family suffered a sequence of tuberculosis infections in the final two decades of the 19th century. So, it's the late 18th century. TB is popping, and I'm not talking about Taco Bell. There There, there is chalupas just popping out of every orifice. There are no Crunchwrap Supremes, only... Death wraps and cream masons. <laughs> I really need to. I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna leave. More. Okay, so everyone had tuberculosis, but it, it's really not as we know now because this was kind of a new thing. Mm-hmm. So all of these tuberculosis outbreaks were happening and people just looked horrible. Mm-hmm. It literally looked. Everyone had a fake nose. And a nice set of those fake vampire teeth that no. you get from like, Jeepers. <laughs> like the plastic ones. Plastic ones that you get from Jeepers. Everyone just looked horrible. Mm-hmm. And like they had the life sucked out of them. A.K.A. like they were victims of a vampire. We'll get to that. Some of them were getting life sucked out of them. Anyway, well, tuberculosis is popping, okay? 
So, I'm gonna get roasted for this, talking about victims of tuberculosis just being it popping everywhere. I mean, it did, though. So, the mother, whose name was Mary Eliza, was the first to die of the disease, followed in 1886 by their eldest daughter, Mary Olive, and in 1891, their daughter, Mercy, also contracted the disease. So, mm-hmm. her name was Mercy Lena Brown, but they also referred to her as Lena. So then... Was this the inspiration for the song by Muse, Mercy? <laughs> it might have been. We'll have to ask them. <laughs> respond res- What's Muse, that respond in the comments. His name is, like, Clive Hollowell. His name is Clive, not Clive Hollowell. Clive Horse. <laughs> okay. That is, is, is not his fucking name. Tweet him. Anyway. And Yeah, we'll ask. Um, so, Mer- Mercy Lena mm-hmm. contracts tuberculosis, and she passes away on January 19th, 1892. So, what are you laughing about? <laughs> Clydesdale tuberculosis Owens. Why can't we? I just called the lead singer of Muse Clydesdale Horse. (laughs) Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Moving on. Danielle's literally crying right now. We we have to take a short break. Just kidding. Um, So she dies, and then later on, her brother Edwin contracts the disease. So he kind of contracts it. Can you not? We have just figured out that the lead singer of Muse's name is Matthew Bellamy, which we knew. We really did know. I just could not think of it in that moment. I was like, what is his name? I'm thinking of the other one. Who Gwyneth Paltrow was married to? Chris... Chris Martin? Chris Martin. I was going to say Chris Clemens, and I was like, not the YouTuber. We can't... Oh my god. We can't get through anything. I'm so sorry. Anyways, back to tuberculosis. So Edwin Edwin contracts not Clydesdale Edwin contracts the disease. So Edwin Brown is now wasting away. Danielle is still crying. <laughs> poor this poor ghost thinks I'm laughing at his horrible. No, he's doing okay. He's with God. Body. He's with God. He's with whoever he needs to be with. He's he's with his squad. He's with he's with the whole game. He's, he's got that motherfucking thing. <laughs> that thing on him and it's tuberculosis. <laughs> Do you think that's how they broke it to their be like you're telling your family of TB you're like I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I've got that motherfucking thing on me. So Edwin says he has that motherfucking thing on him. Uh-huh. Meaning tuberculosis. Uh-huh. Poor guy. So he's sick for about two years now, the better mm-hmm. part of two years. And, obviously, when you contract tuberculosis, you grow increasingly thin and weak. So, he was, like, a really, he was well-known as, like, like the strapping young guy. Mm-hmm. Like, he was really strong. Like, you know, and people in the 1800s weren't always that healthy. They weren't always, you know, running around, throwing logs and stuff. They're, that, throwing, that, they're just picking up trees that's just and what pulling I them by the road. I assume they did. Everyone was Paul Bunyan. <laughs> Everyone was, uh... Edward and Twilight, where he just pulls the whole tree branch, like the true yeah. tree root, out of the thing. Exactly. Edwin was a strapping young lad, and now he has tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. So this was in March 1892. So now he's struggling to breathe, and he's continually coughing up blood. So 
He sought a cure in the rarefied air and mineral waters in Colorado Springs. Oh, but scams. yeah, so the eighteen month trip offered no healing powers and only left him homesick. So he was like, "This isn't working. I'm going back." This is like the episode of um, Ghost Adventures where yes. they went and they found. They yeah, found I actually want to talk about that like in more depth because that, that place good. is that whole story is and crazy. Told that lady who had cancer that he was just he said he was fixing her and he literally mm-hmm. gave her like watermelon seeds. Yeah, every doctor oh, in the eighteen hundreds. I mean, here's some watermelon seeds for your tuberculosis. Like, here's some crack cocaine. Come back next and, week. Yeah. So tuberculosis and its history. By the way, guys, we are in no way making fun of tuberculosis or people who suffer from Mm -hmm. it. It's just the way that this was handled in this time period is so insane and just, it was everywhere. It was just, Mm -hmm. it was like a horrible... They turned it into entire, just like cancer is now. Yeah. It was an entire industry, except there was no research about it then. Right, right. And it was just like, and as I'll get into the story, that people were just looking for excuses to Mm -hmm. call, to say whatever so he comes back and this is ravaging the whole city so in 1892 tuberculosis was still poorly understood like you said it wasn't widely known and what caused the disease or how it spread so no one really know how it started all of a sudden people would just have it or start getting the symptoms Mm -hmm. of it and then it would spread like wildfire so doctors were unable to explain the wave of sickness washing over george brown's family so Basically, you know, his his wife, his daughter, everyone's dying in his mm-hmm. family. So this disease was a top killer in the, in the 18th and 19th centuries, especially in New England. Yeah. <laughs> and it was passed easily between people in close quarters and tended to sweep through entire families. So yeah. especially in this time, like... No one's washing their hands. No one's washing anything. And also people are, like, so close in these tiny yeah. New England villages. Everyone's together and everyone's spreading germs. Mm-hmm. You really, there's no, you know, you can't go to the hospital and, like, be quarantined. Like, it just, it it wasn't a thing. And no one can pull out, like, a Bath and Body Works, like, cherry almond mint, like, hand sanitizer. They're, like, here. Lube up That sounds it, you nice. Know? Is that a thing? No. Okay. I made it up. I'll pitch it. It's nice. Please do. So, the actual definition for tuberculosis is an infectious disease usually caused by microbacterium, um, and it generally affects the lungs, but can also affect other parts of the body. And the classic symptoms are chronic cough with blood containing mucus, fever, Ugh. night sweats, and weight loss. And it was historically called consumption due to the weight loss. Infection of other organs can cause a wide range of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So that's why everyone looked like a corpse, yeah. basically, because that's me, how horrible it was. Me in the early 2000s, I mean, me waking up every morning with True. the bags under my eyes. My sister had tuberculosis. Gina? Laura. Oh. She, like, something happened. She got this huge, like, lump on the side of her neck. All this crazy stuff happened to her. She was, like, two. She got tuberculosis. Well, you heard it here. This is my first time hearing it, that your sister has fucking tuberculosis. Holy shit. Not Taco Bell. No. She has TB now, but down the street. Yeah, she has TB now, like, going down Grand in Harlem, but, like, before. (laughs) Getting getting that extra double sauce. Yeah. That Diablo. She was getting that motherfucking thing. She got that motherfucking thing, but it was not. It was in the form of a Crunchwrap Supreme. Yeah. She didn't have to come to us and be like... We're so good at explaining history. We should just have a whole separate historical podcast. Yeah. So, with medical science failing to help Edwin Brown, distraught Exeter residents turned to superstition in the supernatural in a desperate way to attempt to save his life. So, obviously, at this time, if something was wrong and people couldn't... It's the devil. People couldn't explain anything medical happening. 
it's obviously the supernatural. Mm-hmm. It's a demon, it's a ghost, it's a vampire, whatever it may be. That's what it's it is. And not tuberculosis, right? supernatural. Exactly. <laughs> no. Oh. So, 200 years after the Salem Witch Trials, a vampire hysteria gripped the New England town. So now, this is what I like to call the vampire panic mm-hmm. of New England. Because there literally was. So, is this 2008 when Stephanie Meyer's Twilight yes, came Twilight out? Yes, when Twilight came out, this was the vampire panic of <laughs> New England. So, a group of Exeter residents believe that Edwin's mother or one of his sisters may be undead. Oh. Caught between heaven and hell and sucking the life out of him from beyond the grave. So, obviously, because Edwin was suffering, they're like, oh, one of his family members must be undead and they're sucking his blood every night. Mm-hmm. Nasty. Mm-hmm. So, with the extremely reluctant blessing, I just said reluctant. Reluctant. With the reluctant blessing, mm-hmm. with the reluctant blessing of George Brown, who at first discounted the vampire theory, because it's like, no. My, As one does. No, one's, no one in my family could be a vampire. He finally is like, okay, because he's trying to appease all these villagers, because mm-hmm. everyone is basically against George Brown at this point. They're like, listen... We need to check. We need to double trickle, trickle, trickle. We need to trickle to check. We need to fucking check. Make sure that none of your family members are fucking vampires. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, then we're gonna fucking put you on the stake. We're gonna burn you, and we're gonna give you a nice roast. We're gonna get a stake, and we're gonna put you on top of it. Yep, exactly. We're gonna put you on the stake. We're gonna put you. We're gonna put that motherfucking thing on Uh you. If you don't reveal that your family is not undead, yeah. So George Brown is finally like okay, I guess I have no fucking choice. I might as well. So his relatives and neighbors visited the Brown family plot in the town's Chestnut Hill Cemetery on none other than St. Patrick's Day. Naturally. March 17th, 1892. They all had, like, little beer mug necklaces, and they all had, like, leprechaun hats. They were like, just as St. Patrick got all the snakes out of Ireland, I too shall get all the snakes out of this village. Exactly. That's exactly what they did. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in the small graveyard behind the town's Baptist church, they exhumed the bodies of Mary Brown and Mary Olive Brown. When they opened the caskets, as would be expected, they only found their bones inside because they had been dead for a while longer than Mercy had Mm -hmm. been, so obviously they had decayed. However, the corpse of daughter Mercy exhibited almost no decomposition and still had blood in her heart. Oh. Um, This was taken as a sign that she was undead, and she was the cause for Edwin's condition. Oh, yeah. So they're like, oh. You're dead, sister. Like, she's still alive. This is what's happening. So apparently her body was found on her side. Her face appeared flush, and there was blood in her heart and veins. So they're Someone like. put <gasps> some blusher on that hoe. She's That's alive. Um, so some sources say her body was not in the position it had been buried in, and that her fingernails and hair had also grown significantly, which, like, come on. When you die, your body dehydrates, so your nails look longer, and so does your hair. Right. And also, because she died in the winter, she wasn't buried in the ground. She was buried in a family plot, like, above the ground, so it was cold out, and it was keeping her body, you know, and blood in her Mm -hmm. veins. That's what was happening, but they didn't realize that. Because it's 1892, right? So it's 1983. No, it's not. It was not by the Animal Band. What the hell? The Animal Band? You mean Neon Trees? That one. The Animal Band. Continuing. So Dr. Harold Metcalf, who had raised his objection in the entire affair, he was like, "This is stupid. Mm -hmm. 
you people need another hobby than digging up bodies and trying to figure out who's a vampire. Um, so he assured everyone that the lack of decomposition of Marcy's body was perfectly consistent with the fact that she had been dead for less than two months. Mm-hmm. He was like, listen, let's listen. He pulled up one of those giant fake ears and he's <laughs> like, I'm trying to listen to reason. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, anyone? No, mm-hmm. moving on. Okay. Knowing that medicine had done nothing to save the Browns, the people of Exeter ignored the doctor's proclamations, obviously, because it's like, it, they're, it's, they're having a fun time. They're digging up bodies, they're trying to figure out who's, can you imagine how fucking fun that would be? Not for like, not if it was my family, but it was like, hey, my neighbor's daughter is undead, and we have to figure out if she's alive. I'd be like, hell yeah, count me in. Let's go to the cemetery and dig up her body Mm -hmm. and see if this bitch is a fucking vampire. Holy shit. Because you have nothing better to do. Everyone is just dying in this time period. They're shitting themselves to death. Mm -hmm. You have nothing to do between death and shitting yourself. So you might as well, in between those two things, just have a good old time, go to the graveyard. There's no Netflix. Right. And if she's not undead, then that's fine. You just put her back in. You just slide her back in. And forget about the whole affair. Yeah. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. So they were like, she's undead. What do we do next? They sang so, I'm a vampire. No. Vampire. To fix this problem, they need to create a tonic to give to Edwin. Oh, I thought they had to give to her, and I was like, how is her dead ass going to give to they, they pour her pour it out for the homies, some malort, and they, they th- shove it yeah. down their throat, and they're like, it's lit. No. To give to Edwin. And let me tell you, let me explain to you what this tonic is made of. They gathered firewood and kindled a bonfire right there in the cemetery on a pile of nearby rocks. They then proceeded to cut out Mercy's heart and lungs and cremate them on the pyre. So they have a nice little bonfire. They take out their s'mores. They take out their Hershey's bars. They take out their graham crackers. And then they take out Mercy Brown's heart and lungs. And then they roast them on the fire. People needed to get part-time jobs. I'm just saying. They didn't even have... have, You have this much time in your hands. Get a part-time job in between death. You know? That's not taking up corpses. Call Pizza Hut. Let me get... Go work for Pizza Hut. I'm done. So, they returned to Edwin Brown's house with the ashes of his dead sister's heart. And they also said liver, too. Mixed. And then they mixed the ashes in water. And Edwin (sighs) consumed this concoction, thinking that this would save him. And he dies two months later. (laughs) He literally dies after drinking a mix of his... Sisters, he consumes this, and then he's going to be like, oh, I'm cured, and then he literally dies two months Could later. Could you imagine you have your, like, you you are drinking your sister's, your tuberculosis-ridden sister's ashes. Mm-hmm. What, no wonder you die. Your body's just like, absolutely not. I can't have that in this house. I don't tolerate His that kind of behavior. His soul and body literally just ascended at they that did. point. He ascended in he one was like, whole piece. I can't do this anymore. He's like, I, that, he's like, his soul looked at him and was like, that wasn't very cash money of you. He was like, that was not correct. That was not correct. So, this was not the first time this folk remedy of burning the organs of the dead and mixing the ashes into an elixir for the sick had been tried in Rhode Island, in Exeter. In 1799, the townspeople exhumed the body of Sarah Tillinghast, suspecting her of being a vampire. Author D- 
Diana Ross McCain, not to be confused with Diana Ross. <laughs> Diana Ross. Author Diana Ross McCain reports that there were 18 documented instances of the exhumation of family members in suspected vampire cases throughout New England in the 18th and 19th century. But Mercy Brown's was the last. So, after digging up Mercy Brown, the townspeople buried her heartless body into the ground of Chestnut Hill Cemetery, where under a weathered tombstone she now rests in peace. So, after she's like fucking finally taking apart this poor girl's body and taking her heart out of her body for her brother to consume, they're like, you know what? We fucked up. She's good. Let's put her back in the box. She's all done. And that is the story of the last vampire case in New England of Mercy that Brown. That is the absolute wildest thing I have so ever heard So after in my all life. of that, they were like, you know what? Actually, this didn't work. They <laughs> just like calmly closed the lid and shoved right. it back in. But it's like the saddest part of all of this is that like that's not even all of it. Like this happened for a good while Mm -hmm. of people digging up bodies because of this vampire panic and it's like you hear about i remember hearing about it and watching documentaries about it happening in like england and like romania and like all those places all the people who would just nail dead bodies yeah for like stakes in and like all this stuff but you i never really heard about this happening in america so there aren't really any like ghost stories Mm -hmm. of any of that happening but it is said that Lena, or Mercy, tends to frequent a certain bridge, and she manifests in the smell of roses at the bridge. Which, what have we talked about before? People and things manifesting Mm -hmm. in smells. Mm -hmm. Which I think is really cool, because it's like, that's what it means, like, she's at peace. Which makes me feel better about it. In St. Rita, in in Italy, that's Mm -hmm. supposed to be, like, what you smell. Like, you're supposed to smell like roses, like, where in the tree were, like, there's something where she apparated? She apparates? I'm thinking of Harry she, Potter. She percolates. She per- no, I'm thinking of Harry Potter. Like, does that break? No, where she, like, appears to people. Supposedly okay. it smells like roses. Hmm. It freaked me out when I was little and I heard that. And I was like, you know what? That's not for me. <laughs> That's, I'm, you know what? I'm good. I was like, that kind of behavior is not right. for me. But before I move on, I just wanted to talk about a little bit more about the vampire mm-hmm. panic and how insane this actually was. So in Griswold, Connecticut in the 1990s, some kids were, like, playing in this field and they found human bones Mm -hmm. and so they went to like report it and then there was an investigation done because in may they were like oh maybe this was like a murder or something happened um and because this was griswold connecticut in the 1990s police initially thought the burials might be the work of a local serial killer named michael ross and they like taped off the area Mm -hmm. as a crime scene but it turned out the bones were more than a century old and the Connecticut State archaeologist Nick Bellantoni soon determined that the hillside contained a colonial-era farm cemetery. Oh. So, because New England is full of all these unmarked family plots, and the 29 burials were typical of the 1700s and 1800s, many of these plots were children. Oh, God. And they were just, you know, wood coffins, there was no jewelry, you know, minimal clothing, basic you know, cemetery mm-hmm. plots. Except there was a burial number four. And Bellantoni was interested in the grave even before the excavation began because it was the only, sorry, it was only two stone crypts in the cemetery and they were partially visible from the surface. So they scraped away all the dirt and did all that. And 
They worked through several feet of earth before reaching the top of the crypt. And when they lifted the large flat rocks that formed the roof, he uncovered the remains of a red-painted coffin and a pair of skeletal feet. They lay, he remembers, in a perfect anatomical position, but when he raised the next stone, he saw that the rest of the individual had been completely rearranged. So these bones and this body had been rearranged. The skeleton had been beheaded. Skull and thigh bones rested atop the ribs and vertebrae, and it looked like a skull and crossbones motif, like for the Jolly Roger, he said. And he had never seen anything like it. Well, So they weren't just... Well. <laughs> cutting out people's hearts and feeding them to people, they were rearranging entire bodies to make sure that this person wasn't undead and wasn't a vampire. And this was happening all over New England. So he was, like, confused. He's like, what's going on? And then a colleague asked, have you ever heard of the Jewett City vampires? Mm -hmm. So in 1854, in neighboring Jewett City, Connecticut, townspeople had exhumed several corpses suspected to be vampires that were rising from their graves to kill the living a.k.a. tuberculosis. Tuberculars. Yes. A few newspaper accounts of these events survived, and so they were like, oh, is this the same thing? Is this what was mm -hmm. happening? They're trying to connect it all. Michael Bell is a Rhode Island folklorist, and he devoted studying to New England vampire exhumations, mm -hmm. which sounds fucking badass. And the Griswold case occurred at roughly the same time as the other incidents that Bell had investigated, and the setting was right. Griswold was rural, agrarian, and bordering southern Rhode Island. And there were also multiple exhumations occurring. Mm -hmm. So they were found basically either face down or rearranged or things like that because, you know, they wanted to make sure that nothing was happening. So sometimes it was more like private and like the family would just go and make sure that, you know, their dead relative was it a vampire and after he just died of tuberculosis? Or sometimes these rituals were lantern-lit affairs, and particularly in Vermont, they could be quite public and even festive. Talk about people not having hobbies. One vampire heart was reportedly torched on the Woodstock, Vermont town green in 1830. In Manchester, hundreds of people flocked to a 1793 heart-burning ceremony at a blacksmith's forge. And in quotes... Timothy Mead officiated at the altar in the sacrifice to the demon vampire, who it was believed was still sucking the blood of the living wife of Captain Burton. In early town history says, it was the month of February and a good slaying. What? <laughs> so, I just wish people could see the general shock and disgust on my face right now. This is all you had to do during this time period. It was just like, I was like, this was a real vampire panic. Like, they really thought... Instead of just, like, coming to terms with their family members dying of tuberculosis and how, like, tragic this was for them, that they were like, it has to be vampires. It can't just be this horrible sickness. It has to be something else. I mean, not to make this about Twilight, but <laughs> I, I was listening to the commentary for Twilight, as one does, and they were just talking about, the director was talking about how, like, the belief in the supernatural has always been something that we all try and cling to mm -hmm. in a sense where it's just like you want to believe there's something else out there that it's not just like grim and boring and when you figure like our generation is probably the most removed from that because yeah. of so many scientific advancements and so much like proof right and we just take news constantly yeah. we're constantly getting new information like, new trauma death you know yeah. things that happening like like what just happened with, you know, the helicopter mm -hmm. crash and, like, just, like, that constant we, yeah. traumatic 
effect. And we're a little more, and not to say like they they were used to death because mm-hmm. it happened so often, but also they were more in touch with death mm-hmm. as a reality because they had to see it so much close up, be affected by something. Not to say yeah. like we're, people aren't now, right? But it was different because you saw like your whole family get wiped out at one time or like whatever. You know what I mean? So it yeah. was so you were so intimately close with it all of the time, right. and it was constant reality for you. But I think it's kind of cool that it's like you have a time period where literally there's no proof that that can't be true. Yeah. Like, there's no proof to them at that time period that, that there is not a vampire in there. Right. They're they like, there could be. They're there like, could we be. don't fucking know. We, we gotta check. We yeah. still don't know, but still. Yes. So, a final piece of interesting information that I'd like to mention is one 1896 New York World clipping even found its way into the papers of a London stage manager and aspiring novelist named Bram Stoker. Oh, God. Whose theater company was touring Bro. the United States that same year. His gothic masterpiece, Dracula, was published in 1897. Some scholars have said that there wasn't enough time for the news accounts to have influenced Dracula. So they're like, oh, he wrote it based off this. But like, no, it was only a year later. There mm-hmm. was no way that all connected. But others see Lena as the character of Lucy, which is a mixing of Lena and Mercy oh, together. Okay. Um, who the character is a consumptive, seeming teenage girl turned vampire who is exhumed in the novel's most memorable scenes. Fascinatingly, a medical doctor presides over Lucy's disinternment just as he oversaw Mercy's. Mm-hmm. So it was like, did Bram Stoker base a little bit of his characters off Mercy Brown? We don't know. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know your because thoughts. Uh, maybe someone knows more about this than mm-hmm. I do. But that is the vampire panic of New England and the last vampire exhumation of Mercy Brown. That's punk, dude. I was like, wow. I was like, that is punk rock. That is literally so much. Can you imagine being like, you know what? My aunt has tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go dig up my cousin mm-hmm. and see if she's causing havoc down yeah. at the local cemetery. <laughs> like, what you up to over there? Right. Like, they just, like, yell into the grave? Yeah. I mean, okay. they might. Hey, you got nothing better to do. But anyways... I'm ready for another 1700s, this 1800s not, story. This is not 1700s. Is it 1593? It's, we're very far in the future. In okay. <laughs> so I did the Wyrick family haunting. The Wyrick family? Wyrick family haunting. Okay. Okay. So Ooh. this takes place in 1989 in Ellers- Ellerslie, Georgia. Okay. And so this is about Andy and Lisa Wyrick. Okay. And their daughter, Heidi. Okay. Okay, so this is a very young couple, and so they're kind of just starting out, and they were looking for a house in Georgia, and they don't have a lot of money, mm-hmm. okay? So they move into this house, and they're thinking, like, this is perfect for us, it's kind of just like a small little house, and it's a perfect starter house for them. Yeah. They have, a, like, a little girl, and she's, like, five. And so they find this house, and they find out that the previous owners of the house actually fled and abandoned it. They were like, we gotta go. We have places to go. They tapped their watch and they got out of Right. There. See, I'd be like, you know what? Maybe not. But then you know again, what? they didn't have a lot of money. So yeah, they don't I have, like, see. that's the thing. I'm like, if you don't have a lot of money, which we're going to talk about that later, mm-hmm. about, we're going to talk about a psychic later that I don't like. Okay. Perfect. So, <laughs> God, I, got a, I got a few words to have with mm-hmm. her. She's going on the call She's list. She's on the call list. On the call list. So, their daughter, her name is Heidi, and so she comes in from playing and she asks if she can go outside and play with this man. 
And so naturally her mother is like, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And so she thinks that someone will try to kidnap her daughter Mm because she says like, hey, this guy wants me to ask if I can play with her. I'd be out there with a baseball bat in two seconds. That's what I'm saying. I was like, I would literally be backflipping out of my house with a knife (laughs) between my toes just like ready. I would give my left nut to see that. (laughs) Um, So she goes and, or Lisa is her name. So Mm -hmm. Lisa goes and she looks out there and so she's... She sees nobody, though. Mm-hmm. She's looking. She's She's got her, like, she puts her fingers to her eyes, and she makes binoculars, so right. she can't find anybody. It's like in Spongebob when Patrick puts the cups <laughs> on his glasses. eyes. <laughs> That's what she does. She yeah. fills two glasses with water, and she just puts them on her very dry eyes. Her big peepers. Her, she puts her peepers on. Yeah. Okay. So, she looks out there. She sees nobody. And, but Heidi keeps saying, like, no, he's there. His name is Mr. Gordy. Mm-mm. And so, naturally, Lisa's like... Okay, sis. Mm-hmm. And so her daughter Heidi describes him as a Mr. Gordy as a man with gray hair with a dark suit, and that basically she just was like, he's a man, he has gray hair, he has his dark suit on, and so naturally Lisa's like, okay, and so she asks around, and no one seems to know who this could yeah. be, because she's thinking this is a real person right, right now, obviously, because that's what else do you think when your kid tells you this? Exactly. So. Heidi keeps seeing him, and they're like, okay, maybe this is just her imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. And so Heidi constantly wants to be with him. And she literally just does nothing but talk about him as if he's real and this is her friend and, like, all this stuff. That's like when your friend gets a new boyfriend and then just constantly talks about him. And you're like, shut up. And you're like, please be quiet about No one cares about Mr. Gordy. No one cares. Her mom was like, Mr. Gordy is canceled. Absolutely not. So, the first, the, like, her mom just was like, absolutely not, canceled. She made a whole YouTube video about it. Right. Like, Mr. Gordy is canceled. Here's why I don't support Mr. Gordy. This is why there's no more hauntings. Because <laughs> no one can handle it. All the ghosts get haunted. Yeah. All the ghosts get canceled. Um, okay. So, naturally, Lisa is kind of worried about mm-hmm. her, and she's basically trying to fish out more information. Like, who right. is this? What's going on? And so, there's no kids, really, in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So... Most of the time, Heidi is by herself. So maybe they think, like, oh, it's an imaginary friend. It's an imaginary friend because she doesn't have anybody else. So Heidi then reports to, so there's a knock on the door, which, why do you let your child into the door in the first place when they're five years old? I don't know, but okay. So (laughs) Heidi goes to answer the door, and at the door, she sees a bloody man with, he just, he has a bandaged hand, and he is just standing at the door. And so... Heidi then report like she sees she's like saying I'm right. seeing him she's reporting that she's she seeing this guy she was literally just saying the bloody finger story from exactly from <laughs> scary, scary stories it's all in the dark that's exactly what it right. is right she's like you want a band aid and she's like you need that band aid and Lisa just like throws it out the window right okay so her daughter runs to her mom obviously yeah. and is concerned and I was like I just seen this guy blah 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 like mm-hmm. explaining to her mom Lisa gets a knife runs to the door and is like what's going on here right naturally there's nobody there that's one incident that happens and then. Naturally, Lisa's like, there's a what? lunatic. There's yeah. a raving mad lunatic around here. And so after this happens, Mr. Gordy becomes this kind of constant for Heidi, like I was saying. So for months, she is just seeing Mr. Gordy, talking about Mr. Gordy, just absolutely obsessed. Right. And so they're kind of just like, all right, we're going to let her do it because she's really happy. Yeah, like maybe she'll get over it. Maybe she'll get over it. She's little. Yeah. And so... Everything is all fine and well until Heidi starts to report seeing a shadow figure. Mm-mm. She starts. She just sees this entirely grayed out shadow man. 
Okay. That's how she describes it. And so, obviously, she's terrified. Mm-hmm. And she is, starts to sleep with her parents. She needs to sleep with lights on. She's just absolutely terrified. Right. And so, after this happens, like, time goes by, whatever, they have to stay in the house. Yeah. They're not going to move. They don't know what this is. They don't know what's happening. And they're, right. They they're like, think. I just spent all this money. I'm not going to move because of Mr. Gordy. Yeah. Like. They're basically thinking this is just a little girl who's scared. Yeah. So, Lisa's sister ends up, the property next door ends up going for sale. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa's sister moves in next door. And her sister's name is Joyce. And so, Joyce is obviously very worried about how close her niece is to this Mr. Gordy guy. Yeah. She's really nervous. She's like, this is not normal that mm-hmm. she's like this. And so... Joyce actually bought her house from someone whose name is Mrs. Kelly, and her family was actually the owners of, like, this entire piece of land, essentially, like, where they're living um, since the 1900s. They've owned that property. And she sold her house to Joyce. Okay. And you said this is Georgia? Yes, they're in Georgia. Okay. So, they find out from Mrs. Kelly that Mr. Gordy is actually a friend of the Kellys, who used to handle their, he used to handle, Mrs. Kelly said that Mr. Gordy used to handle all of her mother's business things, like he would Mm. like her will and all of that. Yeah, and how would a little kid know about this? Exactly, and it turns out that he lived up the road from them and Mm -hmm. he died in 1974. Wow. I love stuff like that, when like little kids, like there's no way they could know anything about that. And the parents don't even know. Right. So... His name was James Gordy, and they basically describe him exactly as uh, Heidi seen him. Yeah. He has gray hair. He used to wear a dark suit. And Lisa essentially just thinks, like, this is just a coincidence. This is not who this is. Like, she doesn't want to believe that this is right. true. Because, like, when that happens, you're probably just in so much shock mm-hmm. that you're, like... No way. You know? And that's when, like, with, like, people and hauntings, and it's like, well, I don't believe in this, and there's no proof. It's like, yeah, you can say that all day, but at the same time, like... There's just no way that all of this is a coincidence, mm-hmm. you know? There's just, I mean, we're going to talk about that later yeah. where somebody essentially comes in and discredits them and is like, actually, it's this. Actually, it's this. Actually, it's not. And to me, I just don't understand how, I'm not going to sit there and say that this didn't happen to you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit there and say, like, actually, you're lying. You know what yeah. I mean? Especially they didn't really get anything out of this. Right. It's not like they made millions of dollars. Here. Right. Okay. So, Lisa digs up some info on him. She goes to the library and she's looking at microfiche. She's looking at newspapers and just trying to figure out, is this a real person? What happened? Yeah. And so she's trying to basically prove to Heidi, like, hey, he's dead. He's not real. You know what I mean? Just basically being like, there's no need to be afraid. They don't know what she's afraid of at this point. They don't realize that, like, she's actually afraid of the shadow figure. They're trying to be like, he's not real, actually. Yeah. And then she tells Heidi, like, hi, he's dead. And Heidi, that's a good idea. Well, Heidi actually wants to go see his grave, and they take her there. Wow. And so they get out of the car, and Heidi literally, without them even prompting her, she runs to the exact grave. Now, there's hundreds of graves in the cemetery. She runs to the exact so grave. So they didn't, like, pull up in front of it. They just entered the cemetery. They pulled up, like, you know how there's a street? So yeah. you pull up to the street, and then you have to walk to wherever it is. Right, because there's... A bunch of There's graves. There's a bunch of graves. Yeah. So Heidi literally runs That's to the exact grave. That's what happened to my brother. I was, I I was really just thinking yeah. about that. Um, she runs to that exact grave. And she can't read. How old is she? I think she's about four or five. Okay. Like four. So you can you don't just look at something and maybe like 
taking a while to sound mm-hmm. it out or whatever, but yeah. Because she asked her grandpa, the grandfather goes with them, mm-hmm. and she asked him to read her what the grave says. She goes, Grandpa, mm-hmm. like, can you read this for me? And he reads it to her. Uh, so she can't read, but she even if she could read, she ran to that exact grave. Mm-hmm. So how does she know that? Right. After all this is happening, um, the dad, he at Andy, he ends up bringing a dog home for her. Because he's like, maybe she'll feel better if we have the dog here and all this stuff. Yeah. So the dog is a girl and her name is Sheba. And so one night they're all like sitting there. And it's Lisa and her niece, and they're all just kind of sitting around doing, I think they were like arranging flowers, what they said. They're arranging flowers for a wedding, and the dog gets up and just starts barking like crazy Mm -hmm. at something invisible, just going ham, absolutely like rabid looking at something. And so this happens, and they're kind of just, her and the niece are really freaked out, Mm -hmm. and they're just not having it. What? So a few weeks later, the dog actually ends up running away, doesn't come back. Oh no! Yeah. So the dog was like, "I'm gonna fuck out of here. Y'all can have a nice day. Bye." So Lisa eventually, after this happened, she asks Miss Kelly to come over, and she was like, "Can you please bring some pictures with you, and like bring me?" Y'all need to get some fucking sage. Do a fucking blessing. They don't. This I want to talk about later, but this case is just kind of weird in terms of the way they went about things. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of strange. Yeah. So. Mrs. Kelly brings over pictures, and this is where Heidi identifies the bloody man. Mm-hmm. And so Heidi said that his name was Khan. She goes, oh, that's Khan, and looks at this picture of who is actually, who would, it was Mrs. Kelly's yeah. uncle. And She's his like, name, he's a scammer. He's a Khan. He's a scammer. <laughs> no, uh, Heidi said his name was Khan, but his name is actually Lon. So she okay. got it, probably she heard it wrong or something. Yeah. So, it was actually, like I said, it's Mrs. Kelly's uncle who got his hand chopped off and died in 1957. Oh, shit. So, and she's seeing different people. She's seeing different people. Okay. So, she's seeing, at this point, we have Mr. Gordy, we have the we shadow have the figure, and we have good old Khan. Yeah. We have Shaka Khan living in this Yep, house. Shaka Khan. At the time that Danielle <laughs> thought that Shaka Khan was a Batman villain <laughs> and didn't know that she was a singer. She technically could be a Batman villain exactly. if she wanted to. Was I wrong? Anyways, no. the ghost of Shaka Khan shows up. Shaka Khan. Shaka is Khan. There. Shaka Khan. I'm gonna have to listen to that later now. It's a good no. song. Baby, baby, when I feel you, and I swear that I'm about um. to leave this podcast. <laughs> leave. Anyway, so <laughs> she's seeing Shaka Khan, and Shaka Khan used to actually live on the property. So all kinds of activity starts to happen at this point. So let's. Go, go into it. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa sees a chair move across the room. Literally, like, her and her niece are sitting there, and this chair pulls away from the table and just shoots across the room. Oh, no. So, this is poltergeist. This is some straight-up poltergeist shit mm-hmm. that's going on here. So, Heidi keeps seeing this shadow person, and she's telling her parents, like, I want to leave this house. Because mm-hmm. she's seeing this shadow figure everywhere, and she gets cold when she sees it. Yeah. And so, it starts to escalate, and Heidi starts waking up. Her parents... And just constantly waking her parents, went to sleep with her parents. She's scared. And so one night she goes in her parents' room and she's like, mommy, like my face feels hot. Like I'm hot. Mm-hmm. And so Lisa turns on the light and looks at her and she has three scratches on her face. <gasps> no. Which if you don't know, the number three is really important with demonic activity because mm-hmm. it's kind of a mocking of the Holy Trinity, which is why you have at 3 a.m. is the 
demon hour, spirit hour, witching hour. And if you listen to our Hometown Hauntings episode, which is like our second episode, Mm -hmm. I talk about how when I had activity going on at my house, also kind of poltergeist activity, my mom had three scratch marks on the back of her leg Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. So. That's the thesis. And my mom ain't one to play around with the shit. Apparently neither is Heidi, so Mm -hmm. I believe it. So the next night, Andy, who's Heidi's dad, he starts feeling this burning sensation on his ribs, Mm-mm. lifts up his shirt, and he has the same three scratches on his side. I don't like that. And he said it basically was burning, like it hurt. Yeah, because it's when you scratch yourself, you're like, oh, and then it welts up. Mm-hmm. So they basically describe it as like this burning sensation, and they look, and it's the scratch, scratch marks. So the same thing essentially happens for a few nights to him, and he okay. gets scratch marks on his legs, on his back, on his side. They just, like, keep appearing. Yeah. Essentially, like, three raccoons snuck in. Like, three raccoons on top of each other in a trench coat. Just for, like... Yeah, they, tra- they were like, we'll give you a nice massage. Mm-hmm. Did, so, do they record any of this? No. Not okay. that I've seen. They have no pictures. See, like, that's the only thing that annoys me. Because that's it's, like, my thing. Take I would be, I know this was 89, but, like, get your little Kmart mm-hmm. get camera. Get your cool pics. Get yeah. your little cool pics and take a picture of that mm-hmm. shit happening. I mean, I didn't Something. find anything. Maybe they did, but I didn't see anything. Right. So, they want to move, but financially, yet again, which is the case with a lot of hauntings. Like, financially, mm-hmm. as much as people are like, why don't you just leave? Because you can't. I won't have a roof you over a my family. head. family, yeah. You know? So, it's not a good idea for them. They decide, like, why well, we're just going to stay at this point. We just have to stay. Yeah. So, they decide to, the librarian gives them the number for a parapsychologist. Okay. Who is Dr. William Roll. Mm-hmm. And so he essentially, his perspective is very strange, and I like him, but I don't like him. Okay, is so he on the call-out list? He's, he's kind of, this is who's on the call-out list, is Dr. Okay. William Rowe. So he uses science to explain haunting. So he's like, he mixes the two together, but he's more rationally minded, which is good. Mm-hmm. Which is what parapsychology is, yeah. but at the same time, it's like, eh. for this situation, kind of it's... Weird to take that step toward it. Anyway. So he agrees to the investigation. So he goes and he interviews Heidi and the family and everyone, he determines that everyone seems sane. No one seems to be mentally ill here. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is just something that they're making up. Like it's crazy, whatever. Right. So not to say crazy, but it's not something Yes. They're not, going on. They're not trying to bamboozle. Exactly. So he says that it appears and it felt like... It was solid to Heidi. So he's saying it appears to her as something solid. It's real to her. It's not just imaginary to her. She's saying she's seeing this person. She's felt this person touch her hands. Mm. It's real. Yeah. To her. Specifically, we got to worry about the phrase, it's real to her. her. But he said it didn't seem like ghosts. He just believes this is just real to Heidi. So he thinks this is a case of placed memories which place memories is kind of this phenomenon where it explains apparitional phenomenon. But it's not her memories. It's other people's relatives. But this is what I don't understand. That makes no sense. Damn, this is, okay, listen to how It's not like a, pa- I can see like past lives coming up. You know how like kids remember past mm-hmm. lives and they're like, oh, I see this person and this person's dying or I'm dying or whatever. That makes sense. But this is a whole other person's, like, family, friends, or relatives, mm-hmm. or whatever, that she's seeing without knowing prior who it was. But look at what this guy 
says because to me these two things clash and they don't make sense and I kept like re-watching and rereading and trying to figure out what this means mm -hmm. but it doesn't ever make sense to me how he's 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 melding together two different things that don't make sense yeah so he's saying that these are placed memories which means that it is a recording of a person's memory that remains after they die so essentially what he thinks is happening is Heidi is picking up on the energy and she creates this interaction herself like this this when this person died, they created this energy and it stayed in this place. Okay. Which is what hauntings are. He's saying it's not a ghost, though. He's it's saying it's a place memory, memory. So it's energy that comes from dying in a place. Which I okay. was like, but he's saying they're not ghosts. But yet she's seeing it, but it's only real to her. This is what I'm saying. It's very strange. Mm -hmm. So he shows her pictures of Mr. Gordy Along with, so he gives her one picture of Mr. Gordy and mm -hmm. ten pictures of other Ben, which we've seen this countless times in, um, a haunting paranormal state. Or paranormal state where they show them the pictures. Yeah. But question, didn't she already pick out Mr. Gordy in a picture before? I think they, I don't or know Or did they, they just ever, tell her that he was real? I think real. they just told her. Because she saw Khan. Yeah. She saw Lon. Khan. I think she picked, she picked out Lon, mm -hmm. but I don't know if they showed her the picture of Mr. Gordy yet right. at this point. I think the mom just told her he's real, and they, they and affirmed who it was yeah. by saying, like, how she described him. Okay. Okay? So, he gives it to her, she picks out the exact one, and she's never seen him before, mm -hmm. before this point. So, Lon Bachelor, who is that guy, who had the, the hand, the bloody guy, mm -hmm. he's also place memory according to dr william and so he starts to go in and look for triggers for these apparitions which this is also kind of weird so he starts to look for explanations he's looking for drops in temperature he's looking for um electromagnetic spikes and he finds out that they use the electromagnetonomer magnetonomer magnetonomer the Mr. Magnificent. Mr. Magnificent. Yeah. So he uses that. Basically, they just use a device to measure electric magnetity. <sighs> that. Girl, she got some electromagnetity. Exactly. Let me tell you. So, I cannot stand you. <laughs> Continue. So they use a device in her room, and so nothing is weird with the magnetic fields in her room. Okay. So the house, they wire the house with sensors for to, to measure electromagnetic activity. And so the readings overnight, they're looking overnight, and the readings actually spike in Andy and Lisa's room at one point. Okay. And so he finds out that, so he's looking for explanations. He finds out that there was actually an earthquake that occurred in this area that could be causing the activity in this house. Huh. And he says that there was a seismic fault near there that could cause magnetic impulses that stimulate the brain, and they have a hallucinatory effect. Okay. So he said there is a high positive ion count in Heidi's room specifically that can affect your perceptions and that her room had a high amount of positive ions, which can cause hallucinations. So essentially what I think he's marrying the two of... There is an electromagnetic spike in this house that's causing her to be sensitive to this energy. That's yeah. how I'm thinking it is, but he doesn't ever... He tells the family that this is not ghosts. This but it's, is like, just, oh, it's like she's hallucinating, but she's hallucinating exact people. That's not an hallucination. Otherwise, it would just be like random 
I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not a parapsychologist. I don't I really don't know, know what I'm talking about, but from what I've heard and all, like, the research and history I've seen before this, like, the, it just doesn't go together for me. I think what this means is, and, like, correct me if I'm wrong, because I kept trying to watch it and piece it together, but I was like, I want people to have all the info that he's saying that this yeah. is. How I take it is he's saying that this earthquake created, like, an electromagnetic spike in this area, so it's more sensitive to energy, so they're more sensitive to what's going on or these right. places. Or maybe it's memories. more of like a portal Yeah. That's open. That's how I take it. But he keeps affirming this is not ghosts. So I think he's saying that there is placed memories here. Mm-hmm. I mean there's energy here, but you're not interacting with an actual spirit. You're interacting with the energy of that spirit. Like old energy right. essentially. Yeah, I get that. Which supernatural. Um there's something in supernatural they deal with called death echoes. Mm-hmm. Which maybe that's what this is, where it's just this energy has remained here, and it's not the actual spirit. It's just. Right. But then, how do you explain the scratch marks? That's what I'm saying. That's why. Where, I don't, does, I don't where like, does that all come in? I don't like this guy, and the family didn't either. The family doesn't really believe it, and Doctor Roll also could not explain the scratches. That was the mm, big like fly yeah. ointment where he was like, I can't explain that. And so Heidi, obviously, at this point, the how the activity continues for them. And so Heidi still sees Mr. Gordy until she's a teenager. Wow. And so over time, though, as she goes to school and as she's interacting with other people, she starts to see him a little bit less and less. So maybe she's interacting with that energy just a little bit less and less because she's not as lonely anymore. Yeah. And so Mr. Gordy eventually fades and she doesn't see him anymore, but she still does see the shadow figure. Okay. And so... One day she's coming home from school and she looks over at her aunt's porch and she sees that shadow figure appear and then go straight into her aunt's house. Mm-mm. And so... I'd turn around and walk right I'll back home. Like, <laughs> be like, gotta go. And so the media eventually gets involved in this case. And so it's a small town and so word kind of starts spreading and people want to get in on the story and yeah. they're like, this girl is a medium and she's this and they want to know what the deal is. And so a reporter actually goes to the house and he sees something in the window, essentially, and he literally turned right back around and left. <laughs> Me? He see, was like, someone's got to have common sense. He had the right idea. He goes his ass right home. But see, wouldn't you want that fucking story? He was like, no, he saw yeah. it. He like, he saw, I think he saw like a sh- the shadow figures when yeah. he saw. He fucking turned. He's like, I gotta go. He's like, goodbye. I gotta leave. So this catches on and essentially the whole town is either interested in her or really rude to her and they make fun of her for mm-hmm. being a psychic or whatever yeah. that hurt they're like oh your family's haunted by ghosts like you're garbage you know because that's that's what you can make fun of for people not mm-hmm. if they're like ugly or have a pimple or if they talk with a lisp it's like that bitch can see ghosts what a fucking loser <laughs> what a list you created there like you're you have a pimple you're this well you're that's this. what like it's 89 that's what you're gonna make yeah. that's what teenage girls are gonna make fun of mm-hmm. people for not for being fucking psychic aka the sixth sense we support people with pimples lisps and everything too reminder those you're fucking holiday demons that i talked about yeah. lisps they eat snails they're hairy they're they iconic tails. bitch they're iconic okay <laughs> they're iconic they're iconic so obviously the whole town is like sitting there and they're just like Right. Is this like the fucking Edward Scissorhands town where yeah. everyone's up in each other's business? Uh-huh. And so eventually, like, this is all happening. And so they, Andy and Lisa, have another little girl and her name is Jordan. And so now the activity starts happening to Jordan, too. And so she starts, so one day they're sitting 
And Lisa notices Jordan talking to somebody. So how old is Jordan at this point? Jordan's probably about like six or seven. Okay. And so she notices Jordan talking to somebody and she goes like, who are you talking to, Jordan? And Jordan says, I'm talking to this little girl and she died in a car accident. Okay. And so Joyce one day is next door. And so she's sitting alone and she suddenly starts hearing a little girl laugh. And she's like, Mm-mm. not in this house, honey. That's the one thing that you don't want to hear when you're sitting at home is hear a child laughing. Mm-hmm. No fucking thank no. you. I'd rather hear my cat scream in the night. Right. You know? At least I know what it wants. At least I know, like, my cat is just screaming for a nice food. You know what I mean? Yeah. A nice food. A nice food. So she hears a little girl laugh. And so she is looking around and she sees this apparition of this little girl appear and she obviously is freaked out right the lights in her house start to flicker the door closes and so this is not just some earthquake activity at this point right all right this is not just play games anymore whatever right this is some straight up poultry i should some straight this is some straight up carolam yeah okay <laughs> so heidi actually starts to see the little girl too and so she said that the way that she felt it the little girl wasn't a bad presence. So right. she wasn't that bothered by her. So Unless she... that's what it wanted you to think. Exactly. <laughs> so she said that the little girl doesn't feel like it's bad presence to her. So she was kind of okay with it. Yeah. And so eventually they start going to this new church. After, So they decide they're going to go to this church after a really scary incident happens in the house in which Lisa wakes up in the middle of the night and hears just growling above her head. Mm-mm. Like she's like... She literally hears just this whole space above her head is just this demonic growling. Oh, my God. And she just has had enough at this point, and they decide they're going to go to a different church. I've had that in sleep paralysis before, and it's honestly the most, like, traumatizing, scary shit. Like, you think about that for the entire day. and Mm -hmm. Even though, like, for me, I knew it was just sleep paralysis because I was able to wake myself up out of it. Like, that's all you can think about for the next few hours is that sound, and it's terrifying. I've had... When I have, like, sleep paralysis, I've had it where I'll be, like, on the edge of sleep, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll literally see, like, a shadow figure, like, coming towards me, like, mm-hmm. a door opening, like, shadow figure coming towards me, and I just, like, I'm sitting, yeah. like, see, waiting. I've never seen anything. I only hear voices, and I will never forget. It was the worst sleep paralysis I've ever had, and I was at my dorm at school, and, uh... One of my roommates was our friend, and I knew I knew I was dreaming because I couldn't wake myself up. But I saw her across the room, like, getting ready to go to class, but I was still in my bed, and I heard, and in my head, I knew it was the voice of, like, the devil or a demon. I And it was, like, this low, growling voice, and I don't remember what it was saying, but it was, like, talking to me, and it was just saying this horrible stuff. And in my head, or, like, when I have scary dreams, like... Maybe this is just, like, us or whatever because we were raised Catholic. But I immediately start, like, saying the Hail Mary mm-hmm. or something in my dreams. And I'll start praying in my dreams or when I'm having it. And then I literally I literally had to jerk myself awake to, like, no. get out of this. And it was so terrifying. And that day I found out that a family friend had passed away no. after I had that sleep paralysis. And I no. was like, this is it. I am the next omen. Yeah. And my days are over. You're like, I'm Damien. But yeah, that shit's fucking scary. So I can't even imagine, like, not being asleep Mm -hmm. and knowing you're awake and Mm -hmm. hearing that. Like, I would... 
I would go to church too. I would have to. I'd have to run away. I'd have, have to, to leave me. my family, and I'd have she to back, go. Home. She literally backflipped out of her two-story window and left. Why does this woman keep backflipping out <laughs> places? She must be a really good gymnast. She's a, this actually is a world-class gymnast. Yeah. And so, they decide they're going to a new church because Lisa's like, I've had it with y'all. Yeah. I've had it with She's y'all. She's like, we're going. We're going to a new to, church. We're going to the Church of the Illuminati. Yeah, they go to the Illuminati, and there's just like three lizards in rows. We're going to the Church of Scientology, and yeah. Tom Cruise is going to bless this fucking Yes, house. yes, this is exactly what happens. So they go to this new church, and it's led by someone named Brother Shelley, mm-hmm. and he tells them that, which, this is weird, mm-hmm. like, whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to discount whatever these people believe, but he essentially tells them, like, you guys, you need to cast these demons out and take control. Like, which is, like, good, right. Me whatever. getting rid of all the toxic people in my life. <laughs> you need to cast, cast these demons, demons out, out and, and take, take control. control. So, he tells them, like, you're gonna, you guys gotta do this. Yeah. And so, they eventually decide they're gonna reach back out again to Dr. William Roll. Mm-hmm. And so, he still believes this to be this natural occurrence. He still believes his weird marrying beliefs of, yeah. like, this is energy, this whatever. So, his tune kind of changes, but it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. So, he returns and interviews the family again. He's claiming now that they have ESP, which is extrasensory perception. They're psychic. They have ESPN. They have ESPN. They can watch all their sports channels. Exactly. So, he thinks that essentially Lisa and Heidi are psychic. And he thinks that there is some kind of genetic link that's being passed from mother to mm. daughters oh so now they're psychic but now they're before psychic. they were just seeing memories that's what i don't okay. understand about this guy pick a story pick a story and fucking pick, go with yeah, it yeah pick a story for me dr roll so he believes that there's a genetic link that is passed from mother to daughter here with the psychic phenomenon right and so he actually finds out that lisa has had experiences since she was a child lisa and joyce who is her sister mm-hmm. they've had experience they were a child and so Lisa's side of the family is actually, they've been haunted. Like, they've, they've experienced a lot of paranormal things. Yeah. And so Lisa's mom was actually raised in this place called, they called it Haunted Hollow because it was a site that was, I don't know, like, I don't describe it. So it was a, one of the places that the Trail of Tears was through, essentially. Okay. And so another place filled with lots of trauma yeah. and suffering. Exactly. And so, 2,000 people, two late Native Americans, mm-hmm. 2,000 people essentially died when the U.S. basically sent them to internment camps. Yeah. And so, they would see things growing up, and, the, like, this whole area did. Everyone was mm-hmm. in on it, that something was going on. And so, Joyce actually reported that they would hear screams and cries of pain from this cave nearby, which is near uh-uh. where the trail was. They would hear it, and they would go look inside, and there would be nobody in there. See, shout out to them for going and looking inside this cave. I would be because my ass would have been out out of there in five seconds. I would have fairly well. Goodbye. And so they would obviously, when you have a place that has that much trauma, mm-hmm. you can only imagine the yeah. psychic energy that's happening here. What's mm-hmm. getting trapped? The kind of trauma that's getting trapped there. Yeah. Because of how much suffering that ground has seen, it gets probably caught in the ground at that point. Yeah. Because there's so much suffering happening. Yeah. And so they believe that essentially this kind of, either this opens up the mom's abilities, whatever's happening here, that eventually it kind of just gets passed on through the girls in the line that they have these psychic abilities. Which is usually, and just to make this clear, everyone is psychic. 
Yeah, everyone has Everyone yes. has psychic abilities. It just depends on how, open, how you open you are and how in tune you are with that part of your mm-hmm. life. But not everyone is clairvoyant or clairaudient, yes. which clairvoyant is if you can, you know, see things mm-hmm. happening in front of you, like the shadows or whatever. Clairaudient is when you can clearly hear things. Um, not everyone, you know, has that. I mean, it's possible, but everyone is psychic. But it's possible that her, whatever was happening to her was elevated, and mm-hmm. that does go throughout your family. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking, he's thinking at this point, he goes and inter- he goes and interviews her dad, and he mm-hmm. eventually says, like, yeah, she definitely had experiences when she was little. This is definitely something that happened. Yeah. And so he's believing at this point that the apparitions, he's claiming to them that the apparitions are from their psychic abilities, that basically they're drawing things in, mm-hmm. and they're that's what's happening here. Yeah. So, but, this is where I differ from him. I was like, okay, you're trying to say that this fault line awakens something, that all this is happening, cool. He doesn't believe it to be demonic. Okay. So he brings in a psychic, and she obviously doesn't have any of the family info. She's The family had to leave before she even got there. Mm-hmm. There was no contact, no nothing to make sure the energy, or the energy, the information is purely, like, no, in, no influence yeah. here. It's not biased. And so they bring in Amy Allen, who is... From the Dead Files. Okay, I was going to say, her name sounds familiar. Yes, so they bring in Amy Allen from the Dead Files, and she is a physical medium. And so she comes in, and she basically says that she feels this caretaker energy who is attached to the property, and he's a good and gentle protector. So probably Mr. Gordy. Gordy. Yeah. So she's saying that she also sees a little girl from the car crash, and her energy is so solid that she almost thinks for a second, this is a real little girl who's here. That's how wow. solid this little girl's energy is. Yeah. And so she essentially says that there's three different elements going on here. And that is that you have two deceased elderly men and this blacked out younger male. Okay. Is what's happening here. And she says two of these deceased elderly men are malevolent forces. Okay, so there's more than one. So you have Mr. Gordy, who is a spirit, and then you have two more elderly men who are just malevolent. So you so figure probably Lon, Lon somebody mm-hmm. else, and then... Um, What's Lon's fucking problem? He just mad? I think maybe... I don't know. I, I, I don't know if maybe it's because of how he died. Maybe it's just that he lost his hand, like something or happened. couldn't like, cross over or something. Couldn't cross yeah. over. He was too in shock. So they're malevolent forces in this house. And so Amy also agrees that this location has a really high energy reading Mm -hmm. and so she thinks that like she agrees she says that mom and daughter are definitely mediums and this ability basically which we know this Mm -hmm. when you're a medium you are a beacon for spirits because spirits see your light and they want to follow that light Mm because they think that's salvation yeah so she's like yeah you guys are definitely mediums you have Mm -hmm. these two people here who are definitely cashing in on this insight there's something going on here yeah and so they bring in, after Amy comes in, they bring in another psychic who, I don't know, he says that he can sense demonic president, presidents. He can sense demonic. the current one? That he can sense <laughs> All the of demonic presidents. So he can sense demonic presences. And so he basically says he can't talk to them or hear them. He can just sense them. You mean... Me, every time I go on Twitter, I can sense the demonic president. I can sense the demonic president. He's right there. Just kidding. I blocked his ass. Oh, okay. (laughs) Blocked. So, he senses the demonic president. 
And so he goes in Heidi and Lisa's room and he observes that basically there's a protective spirit here who is sort of muffling the demonic one. So we're thinking Mr. Gordy's presence there has kept things from probably escalating because yeah. he's protecting this house. Yeah. And so after hearing this, Lisa's like, absolutely not. And right. she's kind of at this point, she's at wit's end because she's been doing this for years. years. She's been dealing with this and she's just like tired of it. Right. And so they turn to their pastor who is Pastor Shelley and he, he is straight off the bat wild he's like i'm not taking no prisoners this is demonic activity Mm -hmm. there's no other thing this could be demonic activity he automatically out the gate is like this is demons right and so they go to this church and so dr dr shelley mary shelley mary shelley mary shelley comes to them and so they get together and they do a kind of they like lay hands on them essentially okay and so the whole church is there. Everyone's just like they sobbing. They went to the demons. They're like, you want to catch these hands? They're like, you want to catch these anointed hands? And they do. And so they all basically, they anoint Heidi because they think Heidi is kind of the center of the activity. Okay. They anoint Heidi and he basically is casting out the demons and he's saying like, y'all need to go. Mm-hmm. You guys don't have any power here. Whatever. And so Heidi ends up feeling really empowered by this because the pastor tells her, like, you feel like this is your fault and you brought this on your family, which this is why I like him. Mm-hmm. Maybe even if he's saying that, like, we're even if he's literally sitting there and is, like, doing nothing, mm-hmm. he's helping her by saying, like, this is not your fault. You didn't bring this on your family and you're, like, fine as you are, essentially, yeah. which even if he's out the gate just but Sometimes being, you like, need to hear that normalcy and be like, you yeah. know what, like, at the end of the day... I'm the one who's living. I'm the one who has the power Mm -hmm. and the control. Mm -hmm. So that's what I like about this guy. He literally like anoints her. And even if he doesn't have that power to cast out the demons, he empowers them. Yeah. And so they do this whole ceremony and he's saying like, this is going to protect you and this is going to cast out your demons and like keep them away from you. And so they're on their way home and Heidi just says like, she does feel a lot better. And her mom basically is telling her, you know, like, you know, it's not your fault, right? Like you didn't bring this on us. And so... Amy's advice to them, like, she basically tells them, like, you have to accept what is happening to you. And that it's an active location and that the deceased are attracted to them. And essentially, like, they're going to keep coming to you because you are a medium. Yeah. So this is kind of why I don't like Amy. And, like, this is why I don't like the dead files is because her, she is a constant, which I'm surprised. Are we putting Amy on the call? I'm putting her on the call list. Okay. Sorry, Amy. My only thing is, like... (laughs) with her is when you're watching the dead files which she didn't do it in this case because she goes i understand that it's not financially feasible right now for them to leave yeah but on the dead files she is so quick to sit there and like accuse people and be very malicious about you need to get out of this house and this and this and this and i was like it's not it's impossible for people to just pick up and leave their whole life yeah and move to a different house when they have no money and no means right. of getting Right. Also, out. sometimes it's not always the house. It's not always the house. Especially sometimes. in this case, it's the people. Yeah. And when it, it comes to that, like, you know, do a blessing, do whatever you need to do, whatever, you know, your religious background is, or even if you don't have one, mm-hmm. it's always good to do, like, a cleansing of something. Or even just stand there and, and say, you can say it house. out loud and say, this is my house. You have no control here. Pull a labyrinth. You have no power over me. You have and no then the demon power turns into an owl and flies to the goblin city. And he has a gigantic cod piece on and he looks amazing and his we name is didn't, David Bowen. We didn't need to bring that into this story. <laughs> that didn't need to be a part of it. But I guess it's there. So Here it is now. 
So that was my only, that's why she's on the call list. Is because whenever I watch The Dead Files, that is automatically what she says to them. And she makes them feel bad for not moving or feel bad for things. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't like that behavior. Can't move, sis. Can't Sorry. move, sis. Sorry. So she believes that Heidi is a physical medium and that she can physically see and hear the dead is what that means. Okay. And so that's actually what Amy is. Amy is a physical medium where yeah. you can see and hear the dead and She's have that interaction. clairvoyant, clairaudient. Yes. Yeah. So the parapsychologist, Dr. Roll, he basically says that, like, this is a case of place memory. They're sensitive to the abilities. They're picking up all this stuff. Like, everyone is kind of in agreement now. They're like, right. okay, you guys are mediums. You're picking up on energy yeah and so they believe essentially after they go to that church meeting they have a better grasp on things because i think that empowered them a lot Mm -hmm. to be like okay we are maybe we are mediums maybe this is what's going on we do have power in this situation we're not powerless like these things don't control our life like blah whatever yeah so they have better faith when they come home that things are going to get better. And Lisa's like, I have faith in God. I know that God is going to pull me through this. Mm-hmm. Whatever. So she thinks that basically her faith, she has faith in the Lord that the spirits will leave her alone, mm-hmm. which is kind of where this gets a little bit complicated. And so things do get better. It's not as intense, but things do still happen in the house after they get blessed. But Heidi essentially at the end of the day here, Heidi eventually grows up, she marries someone, she's kind of living a normal life, and so at the end of, I was watching this, like, documentary about Mm -hmm. it, and she essentially wishes that she, like, didn't have this gift, and she doesn't want it. So essentially, she kind of pushes it aside and is like, I don't want this gift, like, I don't want it to be part of my life, and she feels like, essentially, her whole life is kind of defined by that, and, like, people ridicule her and, like, all these things, so she kind of doesn't want anything to do with it. Which I think in a sense is like, that's your choice. When you have that gift, it's your choice to do what you want with it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that like, Amy's kind of right where it's like, you kind of have to accept that about yourself and kind of learn how to control it. And I mean, turn it off and and turn it off and on because like denying it is not going to sit there and make you more adept at handling it. Yeah. But I think that they're so, she's been so terrified of it and so like, scarred by it that she doesn't really know what to do with it. Right. So she basically just rejects it. Yeah, and, and she's she basically under, like, a microscope for years, yeah. too, with all these people and all these psychics coming over mm-hmm. and seeing demons or poltergeists or whatever it is, mm-hmm. basically. But I can I can understand where she's coming from, mm-hmm. but also, wow. that I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Was that on, like, Most Haunted or anything? It or was, was it, like... I was watching a PBS documentary about it. Okay. Where they interview, and it's the actual family all getting interviewed. I had to look that up all getting, It's great. I, have to I watch love it. it. And the thing is, too, that I love about this family in particular is, like, nothing is over-the-top crazy. Right. It's, it's not like, like there's, like, things flying, which have happened, have happened you know, with poltergeist yeah. activity, but it's not, like, you know, the exorcist where, you know, she's throwing up pea soup onto a priest. You know what it's I mean? It's not outlandish is yeah. what I like. Is that this family is just literally sitting there trying to have an honest conversation about what's going yeah. on. And they're taking advice from different people. It's not as if they're saying, like, yes, they don't really accept right. what Dr. Williams says. Mm-hmm. But they are literally sitting there trying to take different opinions, do different things. And right. Like, at the end of the day, I think that if them having faith helps them and they think that they did cast out these demons and that is what happened for them, like, I'm glad for them because Lisa yeah. said she feels a lot better. And, like, obviously Heidi is still 
kind of dealing with it. Like, to this yeah. day, like, she got on with her life. She moved out of the house. Like, things are normal for her now. But they all are, they all seem very genuine. Even the dad. Yeah. Even the dad, like, everyone is, is on board. No one's, like, because always in these cases you see dad saying, y'all are crazy. Right. This isn't real. This isn't real. Know. Disbelieving yeah. kids and mom. And being like, y'all are nuts. This is not what's happening. Which like, you need to fucking support your family support, when that happens. Yeah. You need to at least be there for them and mm-hmm. try to understand instead of saying, oh, well, what you're experiencing isn't valid. Because mm-hmm. that doesn't help at all and no. could make things worse. Exactly. And I loved that about this dad is that he was 100% doing his damnedest to sit mm-hmm. there and believe them. And then he started experiencing the activity for himself too. And obviously he was trying to do what was best for his family. And that's what I liked about it. I was like, right. I like that there's no disbelieving dad saying like, mm-hmm. this is actually garbage because right. that's what we see on paranormal state all the time yeah. is you have mom and dad going to war and over hating each other over yeah. what's happening instead of like let's work together even if we both don't believe this mm-hmm. let's work together to believe it for either like his wife's sake or to believe it for the child's sake yeah like work together to at least come to a common ground of saying I something is that. happening i love that journey he's for them. great i love it wow mm-hmm. what an amazing story i like this story i mean things i think are still happening in that house yes but, this wow yeah. we had vampires we had psychics if only they had, those people had been around to see if the undead were not causing tuberculosis Mm -hmm. in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. Things could have been solved Mm -hmm. much easier. Yeah. Well, guys, well, thank you for listening. Uh, Again, just a reminder, follow us, Most Excellent, on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us for Terror of the Day, Crystal of the Month, Crystal of the Week, whatever it may be. Listen to us. Crystal of the Queef. No, (laughs) not Crystal of the Queef. We're (laughs) we're not hashtagging that. We're not going there. Uh, follow us uh send us emails most excellent pod at gmail.com send, send us, us your DMs, stories send us stories dms let's go we want to hear your stories and we want to talk about them that or do hashtag the call list and the call out list we want to call everyone out mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. all right guys thanks for listening and we can't wait to talk to you guys next week be excellent to be excellent to each other stay spooky bye, bye.